says, get that India, big boy. Good afternoon, or good morning, I suppose, to wherever you are, wherever you're listening. I'm your host, John, also known as 4020, and welcome you back to another edition of The Tip Sheet. Joining me, as always, is my good mate, 60s. Always a pleasure, mate. How are you doing today uh, on this, was it, Thursday? Yeah, Thursday the 26th. Mate, hope springs eternal. We're coming off the back of a win against the Cowboys. Now, we're not reading too much into a win against the Cowboys, but it's certainly better coming into the next round with a win behind you. And it's a monumental challenge against the storm. But as I said, hope springs eternal. So we're ready to preview. We're ready to go for it and hoping that our eels are just as ready. Tell me all about it, mate. It certainly is nice to enter a round off a win um, after that horrible month of football where everything went wrong uh, on the field in terms of injuries, in terms of form, just, you know, complete collapse. They bounce back against the Cowboys, like you said, far from perfect, but maybe lays the foundations for us to be a little bit more competitive moving forwards. And like you said, a huge game this week, round 24, taking on the Melbourne Storm, taking on the Melbourne Storm, looking for a piece of history. It feels like we always play the Melbourne Storm in some sort of milestone game, don't we? It is actually crazy how many times we go up against them and it's someone's 100th, 150th, 200th Cam's record-breaking game in the 2017 final series. This time, they're looking for the all-time win streak. Uh, looking to take it off Jack Gibson's Roosters, right? Yeah, yeah, all the way back in 1974. 74, there you go. Um, so 20 straight wins, I believe it is, is what they're shooting for, which is absolutely insane. Um, and funnily enough, it wasn't us that was the last loss preceding the streak, but we were the loss before that loss because the Storm went back-to-back losses earlier this year against Parramatta in round two and Penrith in round three, right? And then since, yeah. since then, they've been winning and winning and winning. So they are the form team of the competition. They are the benchmark. They are the presumptive premiership favourites for good reason. And they enter this game as the heavy uh, favourites in the bookies, the dollar seven to Parramatta's $9, which, you know, <laughs> it's kind of understandable. But let's look at that. How long, is it, how long would it have been since the Eels had been... Odds of nine dollars in a match. Uh, the the worst of twenty eighteen. You have to think, if not going back to the Ricky Stewart era, uh, I don't think we would have blown out that badly in a long time. So, yeah, and that this is as much reflective on the Melbourne Storm as it is the Eels, who have been you know coming trying to fight out of a slump, and Melbourne being at the absolute peak of their powers. Uh, they've, I mean, looking at the latter, obviously the first, but their differential is four hundred ninety nine. The next best in the competition is Penrith Panthers, 342. Uh, they actually don't own the best defense. That is Penrith, who have an against the 264 to Melbourne's 278. So just a difference of 14 points there. But therefore, the points they've scored, 777. And the next best is 701 from the Rabbitohs. So just wow. They're, you know, that is two big games worth of scores over a prolific scoring team in the Rabbitohs. And for the average team, that's almost four games worth of of points there that they've scored greater than another team. Just wild. So that's who we're taking on this week. And they look like this. Um, they're not quite full strength, but they're pretty close. So Ryan Pappenhausen at fullback, and he's starting to hit his stride again after that horrible concussion in Magic Round way back in Round 10. Um, and he's taken over the fullback duties from uh, the utility Nico Hines. 
on the wings, Dean Aremia, and we have uh, Josh Adokar, the Fox, on the other side. Ramus Smith and Justin Olam in the centres. That uh, formidable house pairing of Cameron Munster and Jerome Hughes. Captaining the team in the front row is Jesse Bromwich, and operating alongside him there in the middle is Christian Welch. Brandon Smith is their starting hooker. Back row of Felice Kafusi and Kenneth Bromwich on the edges. Chris Lewis at lock forward. So missing a couple of big names there. Uh, no Nelson or Sofa Solomona in the starting team or on the bench as it were. And no, I always forget his name now, Dale Finucane, sorry, uh, in that starting team. On the bench, Harry Grant, Aaron Penne, Tom Eisenhue and Nico Hines. Extended roster features Tui Kamikamika, Isaac Lumilumi, Tepai Moroa and Marion Sevi. That is a very, very good team. Admittedly, that is a team that we arguably beat an almost better iteration of earlier in the year. No Harry Grant at that point, but they also uh, didn't have Nico Hines tearing things up in round two. So I don't know. Uh, (laughs) But geez, that is a good team, mate. Oh, it's a team which is worthy of their placing on the ladder. There's no doubt. And what are they averaging? Like 12 points a match against them? Uh, let me let me do the maths on that for you. But they, like I said, own the second best defense in the competition, just behind the Panthers. But so two seven hundred seventy eight points uh, across twenty two games. Yeah, just uh twelve point six three points they're conceding per game. So not not too bad. And I suppose you look at the other side, and they've played twenty two games and scored two hundred uh, seven hundred seventy seven points. So they're averaging thirty five point three two points a game. Just insane. That, oh, to to get to a point where you are scoring that amount of um, points per game is just, it's testimony to the fact that they are not just winning the occasional game by a big margin. They're, they've just been brutal this year. Yes. Yeah, they, they are going to be a huge challenge as an entire unit on an individual matchup basis. You know, you look at that roster, Pappenhausen brings the speed, Olam brings the thunder, Adokar, more speed. Uh, Munster is just so difficult to tackle. Hughes is uh, surprisingly crafty as he grows into that number seven role. Uh, in the forwards, it's it's less of the star power in the forwards, but they just they hunt as a pack, don't they? They're just relentless. Their line speed and defense suffocates you. They always rumble up and get a fast play of the ball. And then off the bench, they've got two terrifying weapons in Harry Grant and Nico Hines who come in and just raise the tempo of the game significantly. Yeah, it's you look at it and you, and you think to yourself, where are the opportunities to beat them? And it's hard to see any level of weakness no. in that team. And if you've only lost two games for the year... And even though we were one of those two teams that beat them earlier this year, you it's still fair to say that we had to play at our best defensively to get over them because it was a tight contest. And uh, we managed to pull it off with a couple of significant plays out towards George Jennings' wing during the game. Yes. So um, it's... That that's that sort of opportunity is not going to be there in this game, and that, I don't say that as a reflection on George, but we did like to put the ball up in the air and send it absolutely, his way, absolutely. And we had that spectacular try through uh, Mike Sebo to win the game. So, um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's going to be interesting, and 
do we talk about now that injury to Mike Acevo? Yeah, well, we'll mention that because he's not going to be featuring in the team list this week and he won't be featuring in the team list for a long time, unfortunately. So what was initially uh, the prognosis, I suppose, from you know a non-medical professional perspective was that coming through the media, it was an MCL injury four to six weeks, which would likely rule him out for the rest of the season, given that you know, you'd have to play through the grand final essentially to get him in any sort of chance. But then that was downgraded to both an MCL and then a torn ACL. So that interior cruciate ligament as well as the medial cruciate ligament. And we know that ACLs are an absolute horror injury. Obviously a lot better these days than they used to be. They're not career ending, but uh, you're looking at, uh, at best, six to seven month recovery uh, window if he absolutely destroys recovery, uh, rehabilitation. But uh, more than likely sort of nine months and then we know from pretty much every other player, you come back for that first season, you're not the same player you were for that, that first run. You've got to wait until the next season to really get back to your best. So um, what the, the window now looks like for Micah, 2023 to be back at his peak, which is absolutely brutal. So Yeah, and I think it's fair to say that when you're looking at Micah, last year coming into this year was the first time that I'd seen him get an entire preseason. If over over that summer period, he's had when he first came to us, he was rehabbing from I think a shoulder Correct. injury. Yeah, shoulder injury. And he played the first round with only getting. He got the last preseason game in where he he got a bit of time off. Uh, he played the reserve grade preseason trial match against Penrith, then was brought in towards the end of the mm-hmm. first grade trial but prior to that he'd only been involved in full contract contact training i think for about two or three weeks before then and he really wasn't at any level of peak fitness we then had uh last the previous season where there were issues that was he still had to sort out over in fiji he ended up with again a disrupted pre-season this year coming in it was a full pre-season it's arguable that Micah has maybe been has he put on too much bulk? Has his has his training had him muscling up just a bit too much? Has he spent too much time in the gym over the last couple of years? I would argue that he maybe has a chance to reset mm-hmm. for the type of winger that he is. Maybe he could look to carry less bulk, be a little bit more energised in you, his you, carry. You, you, certainly... you say bulk, but you don't mean fat. You mean he's like overly muscle. That's right. Muscle. So he only ha- he's a physical specimen. <laughs> you just have to look at him in any game. And if you if you're ever in a position where you're at a match and you're close up to the sideline with where Mike is, you really I don't think you get a true impression of his size unless you're up reasonably close to just how big he is. And that can work in your favour close to the line. And we've seen how difficult he is to stop so close to the line. But on the other side of the coin is he struggles a little bit coming out of his own end in terms of as the match progresses, he it, it, he seems to fatigue, and I'm just wondering whether they would look at reassessing his um, program mm-hmm. for next year 
And we know that he's going to miss a preseason, which is the last thing that he needs. He's going to be rehabbing during the preseason. And then when he comes back in, as he as he begins to return, as he starts to run, you maybe they would like him to be carrying less muscle, less bulk on him, so it's less of a strain on the on the joint. And I yeah, I just think it's a chance for him to reset. He a few kilos down, maybe five or so, without losing too much power. But I think just I think it's going to help his rehab anyway, carrying less weight. You see, they like to use those, and I'm not sure of the name of the machine, but it takes the weight off their legs yeah, as they you, start you, to like run. You put a blimp around your waist and it, it uh, takes away, it's like the anti-gravity treadmill, I think it's called. Or something that's like it, that. yeah, it's that. that's it. But I think then as he is returning to uh, taking the full load of uh, his of his weight when he starts to run, I'm sure it's going to be beneficial if he's not carrying as much bulk. So, yeah, I think it's a chance to reset. And like you said, maybe we have to be making plans around him not featuring too much at all next year because if he's going to miss, if it's going to be well into the season when he is able to play, He's going to need time on the field to get match fitness. Well, Gufferson did his ACL in 2017, roughly a month uh, in the respective season, a month before where Micah did his this year. And I think he came back, Ham was telling me, uh, Ham Sandwich was telling me, it was round, round six, round seven, I think, in 2018. Yeah. And yeah, I think it was round five or six, but yeah. yeah. And and he, Guffer came back, and we know Guffer, Guffer was a phenomenal trainer, and he would have taken that rehab like a man possessed. And he came back as fast as he could and still was not quite the player we know he can be. That 2018 season, you know, he was a little bit down. I mean, that was also re- reflective of the team too, but just his conditioning wasn't where it could have been. So, yeah, you get Micah back maybe midway through the season, maybe pa- past that, and he's still going to be, you know, away from his best. So it's going to be tough. Maybe, maybe they end up just telling him to, well, he comes back via reserve grade and just lets himself build up in confidence. I don't know. That's Yeah, well, what we do know is that they're going to be without him for a chunk of next year and they probably need to start making plans around what they are going to do around the wing spots mm-hmm. because the team is going to be um, arguably without Blake Ferguson if they make they continue with that decision to part ways with him at the end of this season. And up till now, Hayes Dunster has been a backup winger rather than a first-choice winger. Mm-hmm. So does Hayes become a first-choice winger? Do they look, as I hope that they do, to move Wonga Blake to the wing? Um, And if so, there's still a wing opportunity that's there. Is there anyone else in the club who is at the point of being ready to be a regular first-grade winger? So that's that's a decision that our retention and recruitment team are really going to have to make, and I think it, it com- becomes a priority to start focusing on an outside back or two. I I was calling for that to be a targeted recruitment area anyway, but I think now it's become even more so. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it wasn't all bad news for Micah this week. Uh, he and his partner announcing that they're expecting a little baby boy in February of 2022, which is really nice for them, obviously. 
So, uh, you know, sort of one yeah, door. Yeah, our congratulations ab- there. Absolutely. One door closes rather abruptly in terms of football for now, but another door opens, which is going to obviously change his life. So well done to him and his partner. But we've, we've spent a lot of time talking about Mike, a lot of time talking about the Storm. Let's look at how the yep. Eels are taking on Melbourne and how they look. Uh, as always, captain the team from fullback, Clinton Gufferson in the number one. Uh, you mentioned him already, but Hayes Dunster is on one wing, Blake Ferguson on the other. Dunster swapping the five for the two this week in a signal that he is going to move from going to be moving from right to left, partnering Wanga Blake on that left edge, leaving Ferguson with Will Penasini on the right, which is your one to five in the back line. In the halves, Eels unchanged as expected. Dylan Brown and Mitchell Moses front row once again unchanged, like that house pairing. Isaiah Papali'i and Junior Paulo bookending Joey Lusick. And in the back row, you've got Sean Lane and Murata Niakore on the edges. Nathan Brown locking the scrum. On the bench, a couple of changes this week. So out are Will Smith and Oregon Kafusi. Brad Arthur choosing to shake up the bench and give it more of a back row look. Ray Stone, Bryce Cartwright, Makahesi Makatoa, and Keegan Hipgrave are there for the 14 to 17, respectively. And on that extended roster, Will Smith, Oregon Kafusi, Sean Russell, and Jake Arthur. So, yeah, one forced change to the starting team, which then also led to a positional swap, and then two unforced changes to the bench. I don't know where you want to start this team with, mate, because there's some interesting changes. I suppose let's let's start off by having a look at the pack. Uh, the pack, to me, is obviously the where the Eels have been regarded as having a, a strength, but mm-hmm. with Reg missing and Reed Marnie missing, then you're talking about um, and and a couple of players rested, Oregon being a, a regular inclusion in the 17 this year. It has an interesting look. As you said, It's it's got a back rower look about the bench yeah. this week. And maybe the expectation then is that Joey Lussick is going to play for the full 80 minutes. And... If so, uh, if there was any issue around Joey, then maybe Ray Stone jumps in there for a period of time. I don't know how much time he spent practicing his dummy half skills at training over the last, well, since they've moved up to North, up to Queensland, but it it hadn't been a feature of his preseason. No. And it hadn't been a feature of the training that I'd seen before lockdown. There was maybe a couple of times that I saw him jumping in during extras and practicing his passing from dummy half. But with the Eels recruiting heavily in the the backup dummy halves, obviously Joey Lusick, who's named this week, but Nathaniel Roach too, who's unavailable due to that knee bruising. The focus for Ray was more to hone his back roll skills, right? And then just like have a little bit of emergency cover for dummy half, whereas the prior season, he was caught on much more heavily to be that relief dummy half. That's right. So you'd have to assume that if there was any issue where Joey needed a a bit of a rest during this game, that he's going to be the one that's going to be called on. But yeah, apart from that, you could see that maybe there's going to be a rotation from the back rowers into the middle when there's a... Um, when there's a change in the team, when there's an interchange, because the only recognised prop there is Makahesi Makatoa, and we know we're going to get it, uh, something quite good from him. And arguably, you've got Keegan Hipgrave, who is or or Stony, who could go on and do the same job as Nathan Brown. But I'd have to think that if you're going to 
inject Bryce Cartwright, for a start, he's going to go into the back row and maybe that's where you start to look at a bit of a rotation from either Murata or Sean Lane into the uh, front row to give them uh, the break that they need because, uh, you've un- as I said, you've only got Makahesi Makatoa who could come on at, at the first change for a prop. So well, that, I just see it being to, solved by a rotation. I mean, it's not like Mac is being short on minutes uh, for an NRL rookie, as we saw with Andrew Davey before him in 2020. Uh, Brad Arthur is obviously more comfortable to entrust that you know mature age rookie with greater responsibilities in the NRL. And I, I, given what we've seen from him in the last two weeks, you have to think that as the only recognised out-and-out middle on the bench, he's going to be in there for a good chunk of play, which is encouraging. He's been very good. So I'd like to see that. But yeah, uh, do you like the wing swap? Um, I suppose that's the other big point of contention for fans, moving Hayes Dunst out of his preferred position, putting Blake Ferguson back on his preferred edge, and perhaps more importantly, keeping Wanga and uh, Blake Ferguson separated. Uh, not not because, you know, I think the media sort of hammed it up a bit in terms of the uh, fracture between the two players, but we've just seen on the field they're a little bit dysfunctional when partnered together. Well... I think when you're talking about, you were talking about preferred positions, it almost seems, well, it's certainly a preferred outcome for a lot of supporters to to have the uh, Blake pairings, not uh, the Blake pairing dissolved in that regard. <clears throat> Look, Wonga has been, I don't think there's any argument about this, but Wonga has been one of the best player, Eels players on the field during a horrendous run Mm -hmm. and it looks like it's not just his play he seems to have much more confidence about him yeah i I don't know what's happened but he he looks like i don't know it just everything's now natural for him he's he's in a very healthy mind state you know he's just attacking with the ball in hand he's looking for uh, positive offloads he's defending a lot better like he's reading not like he's getting everything right but his reads are far more consistently uh correct and, you know, his whole approach has been fantastic. And I think it's also fair to say that when Blake Ferguson was brought back prior to his injury, that he added some energy over on the wing and a little bit of confidence in his play too. So, I mean, we did say going back that for this team to go deep into the finals, you need to be getting the best out of Blake Ferguson this year. Yeah. So. There's no denying you can't have someone of his experience because he's got grand final winning experience. He's got experience playing at the highest levels of rugby league. You don't want him to be, well, as it was before running around in reserve grade, you don't want him sitting on the bench. uh, Well, not even on the bench, sitting in the stands watching the game if he's fit. So he's someone that has the potential to add to the team. He is, potentially a game breaker and by that I mean he can he's the sort of player who can turn a half chance into a full chance or he as he did in uh one of the games where it was I think it was against the Raiders where it was his play which put the Eels on the scoreboard for the first time against the Raiders and I doubt that anyone else would have had that moment that he had where he busted through the defence and then kicked ahead for the try to be scored. Mm-hmm. So that was that was an individual moment that he brought. I'm I'm happy that he's back where we've lost Micah 
and I'm happy that he and uh, Wonga Blake are playing on opposite sides of the field. I don't think there's, I don't know that there's an issue between the two of them. No, I, but once again, I feel like the media what we know is that there was a. It, what we know is that they weren't combining in a way that brought out the best. In fact, it was almost the opposite. Yeah. It was <laughs> their combination was revealing the worst traits of each of them. So, and I think a lot of that had to do with uh, Wonga Blake's lack of confidence and Blake Ferguson's lack of effectiveness. Yep, and it, yeah, it just ended up being a, a potent. Like miscombination there, so yeah, Brad Arthur taking the correct approach there, which I'm happy to see. Uh, so looking at the team now and looking at the matchups, the first one that really leaps off the page to me, mate, it's it's the young bull versus the uh, he's not even old, but the the bull in his prime out in the centres. It's going to be Will Penner sitting up against Justin Olam, almost like a, a power versus power matchup there. It's uh, fascinating, isn't it, how that's going to play out? Because Will's been quite good in his two games. He went up against uh, Jared Croker, who's a slippery customer and held his own defensively there. And then last week, the Cowboys, much less of a, a challenge in terms of the centres, but he played well. This one's going to be a test. Well, Will is someone who is physically up to being a regular centre in the NRL. How far he's able to deal with the mental aspect of being a regular selection Maybe that's not going to be tested this year because there's limited games that are left in the season, but it's coming into crunch games. So it's a different sort of mental test. Rather than the weekly grind, it's bang, this is as tough a encounter as you're going to get. And Justin Olam, well, the bloke has... He, he doesn't have anything other than, like, the 11 out of 10... In terms of he, the power he, meter. He, he plays, I mean, he's not the speediest bloke, but he plays with the accelerator pressed right to the to the metal every time and he just goes straight at you, doesn't he? There's no uh, every, sub, every no subterfuge or, uh, no subterfuge or, or sidestepping. He's going for that face, not the space. Yeah, yeah. Every run that he makes is a question of the defender. Yep. And if you if Will wanted a test for where he's at, if the supporters want the test for where, where Will Penasini is at, then this is, it doesn't get much tougher than Justin Olam. And and quite am, amazing when you think of Justin Olam's background coming through the um, the PNG, Hunt, the, the Hunters team in the Queensland Cup to being a, a Storm player and not just, and one where I think when he was first selected, people have, thinking well who is this bloke and i think he answered the critics fairly quickly about who he is and he's just got better and better over the years so yeah he's a, he's a great test for will this yeah. week uh will will's defensive metal is really going to be tested and i think that's been a growth area for for will this year wouldn't Absolutely. you say he, i think huge. the start of the year he and what people have to remember is that in 2020, Will was mostly playing GPS rugby. So schoolboy rugby, not schoolboy rugby league, but schoolboy rugby. Mm -hmm. And defensively, that's a different game. You can be playing out in the centres in in rugby union and maybe make two or three tackles in a game and maybe not 
not not too many runs either. I think Sam Burgess spoke about that <laughs> during his stint you, in rugby union about you catch how the easy, you, you catch the ball because it never comes to you out in uh, union sometimes. Yeah, so uh, Will and look, Will did make an impression in rugby union, and it's he people that know a bit more about Will in rugby union rated him just just below. Joseph Suwali in the impact that he made at the schoolboy level in rugby union. We've seen a bit of him in the junior reps coming through with Parramatta. He is potentially a superstar, I believe, in rugby league. It's his opportunities come. Well, do you know what? I actually thought at the start of the year that they would look to give him a run in the latter part of the season because he was he was physically able to do it. But I think his game has grown to the extent that it was arguable that he could have been re- retained in the team following his, his mm-hmm. debut game against the Raiders. So yeah, there was a strong case for it. Um, yeah. And, and speaking to what you're saying about his defense, um, it is worth mentioning that he was never a poor defender as a junior. It's more that throughout the uh, Canterbury cup campaign this year, or New South Wales cup, sorry, campaign this year, he went from being a, a solid defender to, a kid that was going up against NRL caliber centers and, and completing tackle effective rates of over 90% consistently. So he, he grew really well in that capacity. And that was something that we've always pointed out uh, throughout his entire pro- uh, journey to the NRL. So he's done really well in that capacity. And again, it sets up a fascinating duel against uh, Justin Olam, who you know is easily the best power center in the NRL. Um, but, you know, he does have a bit of craftiness to his game too. You've got to respect the, uh, the offload, the sort of the little, the ball, the way he can slip the ball away when you sort of commit for that big shot. So that's going to test him. And, and maybe Will can get some counter punches back too because he is no chump with the ball in hand. I'm really keen to see what he can do working up against all. Well, I think this is where getting early ball to him is going to be critical because if he's going to be getting the ball without much room to move, you know what the outcome from Justin Olam's going to be. He will be looking to leave a statement that's a black and blue type of statement on Will Benassini. <laughs> he'd, be, he'd, be, he'd be looking to leave some post-match reminders about their encounter. So mm-hmm. I think that getting early ball is the, is the best chance that Will has to put a, a step on, uh, let Justin Olam know that he's encountering a player of the future. And if that's the uh, sort of the, the jewel we're highlighting or putting a circle around, if you're looking at people you can potentially maybe work over and squeeze a bit in that Melbourne lineup, maybe it's Dina Ramia and maybe it's Ramus Smith. Smith obviously been uh, pretty good for the Melbourne Storm, but I'd say he's one of the weaker members of that back line. So that's not to say he's a bad player, but being on the weaker end of that spectrum, maybe you've got to try and attack him. Well, maybe from the point of view, if you want to, start to remove some of the confidence because he has grown into this year, Remus Smith. He looks like a person that belongs in the Melbourne Storm team. And I think a lot of that has to be the way that, as I said, he's grown in confidence. Let's just put a bit of pressure on and see where that leaves him. And as you say, that you can easily carry that through to Dean Aremia because He's not a regular first-grade player as yet. No, young, but, young boy, young man finding his way in a stacked team. 
you know, maybe that's where you can start pulling at the, the corner, you know, the thread and just maybe unravel it a little bit. That's it. You've, you have to apply the pressure where you think the pressure can be most effective. And you've got a, a team of players who have been there and done that in so many of the rest of the steam, uh, the steam, the storm outfit. <laughs> so let's, let's hit the players who are less experienced, who's, who are, are confident because they're coming into such a strong storm team, but maybe there's an opportunity, uh, an opening to have something achieved against them. Now, when I wrote about this in Team West Tuesday, about this contest, mate, uh, I mentioned that you come into this game and regardless of the odds, the win is always the ideal outcome. It's what you're gunning for. No matter how banged up you are, no matter how good your opponent is, you, you want to give yourself a shot of winning. But for me, I also I also wanted to say that this is a game where a loss is not a negative outcome potentially. Uh, the Melbourne Storm, as we mentioned <laughs> at great length in the early parts of this preview pod, are uh, in some serious run of form. You know, the record-breaking run, chance to outright claim that win streak title for themselves. The Eels have a lot of battles within the battle here that they can win in order to not necessarily get the win for the W in terms of the ladder, but build towards the postseason. How, how do you see that perspective? Do you think I'm right, or do you think maybe the you know it, it's sort of trying to compartmentalise things too much? No, I think in any game you have to compartmentalise because when you think about some of the closer losses that the Eels had this year, that they maybe should have taken the win... So we're talking about the Panthers, we're talking about the Raiders uh, more recently. You look at that and you go, there was just a couple of moments there where if they'd won the moment, if the team had won the moment, that the win would have been possible. And the difference, I think, between the really top teams that are consistently in grand finals or winning the big games and maybe where we are at is that there's too many little moments in the game that we don't win where we're just as much chance as the other team of winning it and look I'll, I'll, I'll come back to that Raiders game Nathan Brown catches the pass from yeah the offload yeah and you've got a completely different game. Um, Micah stepping just back. Or going maybe a little bit lower, you know, or, yeah. Guff, or Guffo's pass being uh, just a little bit cleaner to Micah to give him that ability to get forwards faster. So many little bits and pieces, right? That You know, the, it's the millimetres that add up the centimetres that add up to points. Yeah. So what I'm looking for in this, in this match, outside of, I mean, the... Obviously, the dream result is a is a victory, but if the if the eels focus on winning moments during the game, then to me they start setting the right trend towards achieving victories. Whether and, and this week might be a, a a match that's just too far above them mm-hmm. under the circumstances or yeah, no Reed Money, the- no Reagan Campbell Gillard, no Ryan Madison, no Mike Sevo, uh even, you know, just the depth options aren't there in terms of the props. No Wiramu Greg, uh, no Nathaniel Roach to to help Joey Lussick at Hooker. So the options are just sparse. So maybe there is there is quite possibly an outcome where 
Parramatta lose handily, but the flip side is they're benchmarks, right, that you want to be hitting. Yeah, that's right. And that's the first benchmark that I want to see them hit is aiming to win those little moments. And we've seen that some of those little moments are just uh, can be um, like just that scramble to prevent a, a try being scored. Now, if we look back at last week, Gutho's hand coming in at the right time when the ball was being planted down by, um, I'm trying to think which Cowboys player it was, that was it the hammer when he was looking to yes, place yeah, the ball yeah. over the line down, and down Gutho right just edge. got his hand there. Yeah. And there was that bobble. Now, I would have imagined that in the previous couple of weeks, maybe Gutho isn't there getting his hand yeah. under the ball That's or true. knocking it. That's and true. how often do we see the likes of the Roosters, the Storm, the Panthers, someone is just there at a moment where you need them to be there. Or someone someone comes up with a, a play and it and it can turn the momentum of a game. It could be it could be getting out from the end goal or being there in support to stop someone being pushed into the end goal. It 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 could be tackling a player over the sideline with with just a little bit more effort than uh, it, things that can get possession, things that can get field position. There's there's so many little moments. So um, I I think with our lack of confidence that was there the previous weeks, with that lack of and call it a lack of resilience, because I think you start to see those moments when a team is really resilient, when they just keep fighting and fighting and fighting, and they don't let an easy they don't. They don't give up on a chase, for example. Someone looks like they're breaking away for, for the try. You chase back. You force the conversion out wider. Mm-hmm. Bang! You might be you might be preventing two points, points from being added to the score. Yes, you don't know. You don't know how critical that can be. You see it all the time in games, and we have to be that team right now. We have to be that team that fights for those little moments. So that's the first. That's the first KPI that I'd like to see addressed. The second, of course, is I want us to respect the football a bit more this week. Now, I know that to get out of our funk last week, we played a little bit more footy, inverted commas, footy. And that's not a bad thing. But I also think there were a couple of times where we really pushed the mark when it came to the pass that was selected or or the tackle that the pass was thrown on. And I think we can all agree that if it wasn't an opponent like the Cowboys, the amount of possession that we turned over in the first half could have led to a far worse outcome. So I want to see a bit more, I want the Eels to be a bit more circumspect about where they let the pass go, but not to the point where they shoot, don't deny, where they the deny themselves yeah. opportunities. you got to shoot the shot, but you know, don't, yeah, don't yeah. be reckless. That's right. So uh, that to me is a, is a, is a KPI, a bit more respect for the ball. And I think uh, the third thing is, uh, geez, you'd like to see that the the team holds a bit stronger in terms of just that mental resilience. Now, I said that that can manifest itself in winning those little moments, but it also manifests in the, in what you see in the body language. Now, the previous week against Manly, you could see the heads and the shoulders droop yep. after that first try from Manly. Yes, sir. I mean, you could almost see it from the first penalty that went against the Eels in that 
in that opening the set. Joey Losick uh, attacking the legs penalty. Yeah, mm. yeah. So, uh, and then last week against the Cowboys, and it was obvious that the instruction was to go out there and not to stress about things. And there were times where it didn't look like it was going well, but the players weren't didn't look despondent at any stage. In fact, you saw Gutherson with a smile on his face. The, what what, what really stood out to me match, was but, there was that sequence in that game where uh, we'd had the quick turnover. No, it, was, it wasn't a turnover, but it was when uh, Junior yeah, – it was a turnover. Junior Paul had scooped up the, the loose ball, and Will Penasini's going to score for all money if Junior just puts it on his chest, and Junior fires a pass that's too hard, and Will lets it go, and we end up challenging. And, and it was real borderline whether Will would touch it, but the challenge goes against us. And, you know, it could have been a pivotal moment, and the boys were just relaxed at the scrum. And yeah. they were, like, real upbeat, and I think they had a, a joke with the referee uh, about the outcome. Um, and, you know, he, they all thought it was entertaining. And there was just such a contrast to the past month where the smallest error had just seen them wilt and melt and sort of fold in upon themselves. Yeah, and obviously we're not ignoring the fact that the the Cowboys weren't the weren't the Manly Seagulls, they weren't South. They weren't the Roosters, but it could have been given the previous month of football. It could have been very a very easy slide for the Eels to feel the pressure on them that it's not going exactly as they want against the Cowboys because it wasn't in that first half. It wasn't going exactly as they wanted it. They had the lead, but geez, they were having their moments and putting themselves under pressure. Missed a couple of times. Um, Sean Lane had some moments where uh, between a charge down and a loose carry. Uh, you know that put undue pressure on the defensive lines. So, yeah, it was it was far from a free run, um, and they they showed a little bit of resilience, which is good. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's probably some of the key areas that I I'm looking at in terms of the small victories, mate. What about you? Yeah, on a simplistic level, uh, I sort of I had it lined out or lined out as if you can keep the storm to twenty or less, that is a a massive win, regardless of the if you win or not. Obviously, twenty to zero would be a little bit more problematic. But if, if you're 20 to 10, 20 to 12, or if you go on to win and it's 18, 16 or 18, 14 or 20 to you know 18, that is a, a fantastic result. And that would, to me, would be perhaps the, the most positive, single most positive outcome you can get out of this game to let me know that this team is starting to become finals ready and is ready to take a step forwards in sudden death football. Uh, aside from that, I just want to see more desperation. Desperation to dive on the ball, desperation to get there defensively in numbers, whether it's in the middle or on the goal line, uh, the desperation in the kick chase, you know, just being on those one percenters, working as a pack, hunting as a team. Um, I feel like that's how you have to be able to take on Melbourne, and that's where some of our best performances, like in round two, came when we we really operated as a as a unit, as a well-oiled machine. Everyone was moving at speed. And because that, that's where Melbourne get people, it's not just because they've got fast players. Obviously, they've got speeds like Pappenhausen and Addo Carr that will just burn you sometimes when the opportunity's there. But everything they do, even from their slowest player, you know, and they've got some slow boppers in there. Some of those guys aren't that quick, but they do it with speed relative to their own position. So I just want to see the speed, and I want to see that desperation, and I want to see that. And we wrote, we, we spoke about it, you know, prior. I think for the Manly game, maybe just that willingness to, to embrace the violence of the collision because that's when the Eels yeah. are at their best. And we started seeing that from Junior and from Papa last week. I felt that even though the numbers weren't insane for Junior, he had you know he had a good game, 100 metres, uh, 
some good tackles and whatnot. It was the impact of those runs. He was bumping people over, and then there was at least one once or twice in the game he got up out of the line and absolutely belted the the you know the piss out of someone. Um, I'm not sure who it was, but I think it might be one of the backs. He absolutely murdered him with a huge hit. So that's what I want to see. That for me, that's what I want to see. And that 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 win or lose, regardless of what happens in that regard, uh, that's what would be a huge uh, benchmark check for me. And I think you raised it last week about we looked at uh, ICE's running meters and we're a bit surprised that it wasn't higher than it than it was. But he his post contacts were more than fifty yes. percent of his running meters, so it really came down to every time that he carried the ball, he was just that much of a challenge for the opposition to bring down. And that's the that's the sort of play that we know that ICE has brought to the team this year that. He is constantly a, a challenge for the opposition defence to be able to rein in. He's He asks questions with every carry. I think you've really nailed it in terms of that um, being physical and, and getting involved in that contest. And the other thing that you spoke about too was the speed of the Melbourne Storm. Anyone that's listening to this who has never seen the Storm live at a game you really don't have a true impression of what that team is like. There have been times that I've watched their games against Parramatta in the past, and I'm stunned at any that anyone could hold them out for any period of time because the speed at which they play, and not just the speed at which they play, but it's the it's the number of players in motion at speed as well. The, que- the sheer questions that are being asked. And I've watched some of those games and I've thought, how the hell are you stopping this? Yep. Because there are players changing direction. There's And, and television doesn't do it justice. It really if, doesn't. If, no. if you have an elevated view of all the players in motion right across the field and you're thinking, man, there's going to have to be some good defensive decisions made here against this. And that... I think is exactly why they've got the this for and against record that they have this year, because that the number of points that they've scored are averaging over thirty five per game. It's directly a result of all those questions that they ask, where the ball is just in motion. Now, to that end, and I think this is most important, they like to start and go bang right from the start, and. One of the best performances I've ever seen, and I'm not even going to talk about the the win this year, but one of the best defensive performances I've seen from Parramatta against the Storm was that finals match in 2017 down in Melbourne. Mm -hmm. And I think the final result was 18-16 from memory. And Parramatta withstood so much of what the Storm threw against them in that match. And, And... they shouldn't have been awarded their first try because it was, and I'm not going to go, it's old ground to go yeah. back over, but there's at least two tries that they shouldn't have been awarded, yeah, but their first the one was Croc. a forward pass by, by a country mile. And then the Cooper Croc offside handoff that, thing that happened. Yeah. Um, so anyway, um, but my point is that the reason that we made that such a contest was the way that we withstood the, the what they were throwing and, and were so resilient in that first half against them. 
And that really comes down. And I know BA talks about it all the time, about front-loading the effort against the Storm. The Storm are a team where you must front-load your effort against them. If you let them get a start on you, they are just magic ground. You don't wear them out in some way. You've got to, you've got to, you've got to slow them up. You've got to remove that momentum. You've got to stop them from. You've got to find a way to introduce a level of fatigue into them where they can't maintain that speed for the entire game. Look, Penrith is somewhat similar because they will ask lots of questions and they will play at speed. And again, you've got to disrupt them. You've got to you've got to find a way to introduce a bit of fatigue into their legs. That's why and, and Penrith are, do have a tendency to have spots in games where they slow up a bit and they and there's a chance for an opposition to come against them. The storm, not so much. Yeah, very, so very you've, rarely. you've got to take the game to them from the start. And speaking of taking the game to them, we've uh, talked a lot of turkey about this one. How do you see it playing out, mate? Because I feel like there is a realistic prediction and there's a positive prediction. Okay. Well, I think the the realistic prediction is that the Storm do what they've done all year to every opposition team. Yeah. South Sydney doesn't make a difference. You know. No, no. It doesn't make a difference. It's uh, So the what I'm what I'm looking for, and I, I really don't want to make a score prediction in this because um, I, I feel that any score prediction that I make, if, if if I make a prediction of the Storm doing what they do to every team, it's it's a horrible prediction to make against your own team. And then if I make too many, if I make a score prediction that is um, ridiculously positive for us, and we don't produce all of those KPIs that we were talking about before, uh, you, you look stupid in making a, a, a really positive <laughs> prediction. So um, I'm, I'm hoping, hoping that we, we produce our best football possible for a team that's down in numbers, and that we make it a, a a contest where it's within six points either way, mm-hmm. and that, I would be I'd be I'd be overjoyed with six points either way, and um, and where I think it's going to be critical is not just winning that physicality, but last week they won the game against the Cowboys via the contribution of the spine. We saw Gutherson lurking around the middle of the ruck. Once again, something that had gone missing for about the previous Dylan, four Dylan operating at first weeks. receiver, both halves swapping sides when the opportunity presented yep. themselves. Joe Lusick being much tidier with his distribution and also uh, keeping some of the markers on us with some good runs. So all those little things add up, and I feel like they, like you said, that's where it's going to be huge against Melbourne if these guys can can build on that one. Yeah, and if we don't ask questions in what we do with the ball as well, then again, you're not. You're not introducing fatigue to the storm. You you have to introduce fatigue to the storm via their defensive work. Mm-hmm. And if they're not, if you're not making them defend either either with the work that we that our forwards put in with hitting that ball into their defensive line with aggression, or via the questions being asked through the spine players, then you're setting them yourselves up to be doing. Uh, to be losing a lot of your own energy because you know what the Storm are going to throw from an offensive point of view. Yeah, 
and and likewise, I can easily see a world in which the storm go thirty plus on us because they've done it to everyone. But I am going to throw my lot in with the the positive outlook, uh, as is want to be. If you if you've been a you know fan of sports, being pessimistic is honestly boring. So I don't know why you're following the sports if you if you if it gets gets to you that much. So I'm going optimistic. I'm going for not necessarily a win, but a highly competitive game, and I'm looking for that twenty point. Mar- like not margin but 20 point threshold once again uh, anything in or around that even if it goes a little bit over it that is a huge win for us I'm looking for our centres to have big games and, and maybe one of them the feature is the first try scorer well one of them okay make your call Who? which which one of them would you back oh, I would love it to be Will uh, just for that you know the, the new kid in the block taking on the the big powerful almost the bully right because all he plays with it in a way that almost bullies the opposition. And that, that's not a slur on him. That's just how dominant he is. But I can see it being Wanga. Or, or you know, Wanga is just, there's, there, he's got a bit of gravity about him at the moment. So I wouldn't mind it going his way ever. Okay, well, I'll, I'm going to go for the King, for King Gutho to be um, the first try scorer for the Eels. Now, whether that's the first try scorer in the match, I'm not sure, but I'm going to back him to be the first try scorer for the Eels. All righty. And yeah, obviously a huge game. Um, Melbourne, so formidable as we spent so long talking about. But this is a huge opportunity for the Eels to springboard into a finals push. Uh, a competitive hit out here, one where they really match up to the physicality and the speed of the storm, will do this team a world of confidence, knowing that uh, the week after you're resting key players against Penrith Panthers, or at least that seems to be an indication from Brad Arthur in the press. And then the week after that, you get guys like Reagan Campbell-Gillard uh, and Ryan Madison back into the fold. So you got some significant reinforcements on the horizon. So that's why you go out and you make a difference this week. And that's what I want to see. And on that note, I think maybe we can wrap things well, up. Well, mate, just, be, just before we wrap things up, uh, I just wanted to give a bit of a shout out to our mates at Paraleagues because in this time where we've got the, the lockdowns going on, we've, we've got the club doing the um, welfare phone calls to members just to check if everything's okay and in certain instances they'll send out their um their grocery care package to individuals we've seen that they've just had the vinnie sleep out uh dollar match day where any donations to vinnie sleep out was being matched by the leagues club but the big one i think has been the uh 400 meals a week that the chefs of the club have been preparing for the Ronald McDonald house over at, over at Westmead. Yeah. Good. A good with, meal goes a long way, doesn't it? To make oh, your life that much better. And, you know, and kids, yeah, well, kids at Ronald McDonald house, obviously doing it tough to start with. Yeah. Well, they haven't, they've been in a situation where their volunteers haven't been able to go over and cook for them due to the, some of the COVID restrictions. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the, the club stepped up. They've, they've done that. I've put it out there on the social media but I just wanted to make a mention of it because there's all the registered clubs, are, uh, they've got that community aspect to them. And, yeah. you know, we've been passionate about the club. We've been um, campaigned for the getting the constitutional change for the club and we do our podcasts down at the club and they're our, they're our great friends. We, we, we go down there for different events. We enjoy an Eels trivia night when we can down there going and joining in on that or, or we catch up and have a meal 
and have a and and catch up with all the all of our mates, our para supporting mates down there on on match days or even sometimes through the week when it's just a a catch up with friends. But just seeing that in a time where COVID's hitting and the club has uh, they're trading, they're trading with people. That, you know, people want might want to order meals through menu log or or the Jack's beer that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So they're trying that they are looking to trade during these lockdown periods in the best way they can. But for them to keep a community focus like they do during these times, um, yeah, I just wanted to give it a shout out because I think it's well worth mentioning. Yeah, and it's, I mean that community aspect is such a huge part of what makes the Parramatta's identity from the NRL right through to the Leagues Club, and that's why we're so proud to be fans. Yeah, and, and not just fans, but members too. Mate. Yeah, so well, that, that's yeah. Totally, that's I, I'd true, really yeah. encourage any everyone to. Um, yeah, just acknowledge what the what the, what the leagues club's doing because I think under the circumstances, it's um, and, and I'm sure they're not the only club that's out there looking at, looking to look after members and and the community. But that's for those eel supporters. That's your club. Yeah, the, if you're a member of the leagues club, and, and it's not just eel supporters, a member of Parramatta Leagues Club. But if you're a member of Parramatta Leagues Club, I think it's something to feel proud about for a club that you're a member of. And it's a really nice way to sign off on a. What's well, been a pretty fun and deep dive for a preview podcast. So, as always, if you're listening, thanks for stopping by. Thanks for coming on board and putting up with us going on for what was meant to be half an hour, but is now closer to the hour. Uh, but we had fun as always, and I hope you did too. Surely not. We haven't been going for an hour again, have we? 56, 50, 56.40 right now. So, <laughs> there you go. Uh, don't remind me of what, don't remind me of our pre recording chat, mate. Where I said, <laughs> okay, here's our goal, mate. Nice here's and snappy. Yeah. 30 to 40 minutes. Brevity, the soul of wit. All that sort of stuff. No, but um, as it is a lot of fun being able to talk football with you, mate. And I do hope that everyone else enjoys our yarns as much as we do. Um, look forward to the game on Saturday night, uh, where the Eels hopefully get the chockies, and if not, uh, equip themselves very strongly against the team that will almost likely either be in the big dance, if not winning it, uh, if it's not Parramatta. So, yeah, this is uh, this is a big game, and I am excited. I am legitimately excited for it. So, let's hope it uh, delivers for us. Mate, let's hope that we are able to do our instant reaction podcast after the match and we lose the plot with uh, <laughs> with, with the, joy. That's right. <laughs> exactly. Uh, that's it. Okay. Catch you guys later. Cheers, everyone.